Do you like the north of England? Would you like to spend a couple of days doing nothing but playing board games, eating great food, in the presence of fantastic people, some well-known faces from board game media, and potentially Matthew Jude smelling great? Then, come to Aircon between the 13th to 15th of March next year. Tickets and more information are available on their website. That's aircon.co.uk and also in the links in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for autumn because we're into seasons now. The nights are drawing in. It's getting colder, thank goodness. Some of you will be able to survive in your house without putting the air conditioning on. Some of you are wishing that you maybe had built something different if you had the power to build yourself a house. You'd build it with big windows. You would build it with an open glass front that you could just open when you could. You'd have the best air conditioning. And then when it came to winter time, you'd have electronic walls that would come in and keep you all kind of nice and and cool and nice and warm and snuggly. That was if you were building a town. What happens if you're building a city? Well, I've got somebody along today who's been on before but he's officially a repeat offender. He's coming from Naylor Games. It's James Naylor, and he's coming here to talk about Magnet again, the first city, and how's it going and stuff like that. And I'm really excited. Um, so hi, James. Hello, Richard. How's it going? I'm 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 a nine point seven. Nobody can stop me. Oh wow, fantastic! That's absolutely top of the board game geek rankings, right there. Yeah, I'm right up there. I'm just looking down at Gloomhaven. And I'm just going, so what, Gloomhaven? You're nothing. I've always thought you're better than Gloomhaven, to be honest. I'm a bit more fiddly, though. I'll be <laughs> honest. <laughs> and there's only one standee, but we won't talk about it. Um, <laughs> the less said about that, the better, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's like, has he got a big box? Could be. Um, anyway, we met back... In March, we actually did a face-to-face thing, and uh, we uh, played we played Magnet, your game. Yes, and indeed. And that was still Absolutely. in kind of prototype version. And I rolled the shittest <laughs> rolls of dice. <laughs> You, you you did get absolutely Ever. absolutely crushed by the dice. I must admit, I, uh, I, I did feel quite sad for you because I, I've spent a lot of time trying to make sure that this game is designed in such a way that there's loads and loads and loads of mitigation for bad dice rolls. But um, yes. you just rolled so very badly there, Richard, that I just... Uh, I, not even the full extent of my rules design could help you. I think I kind of failed. Um, I failed wonderfully. I failed absolutely wonderfully well. It was so. It was so much. Uh, it was so much fun. It was. It was good. But um, that was a prototype. You had your stuff all together. You were still using some printed out stuff. You'd had the fabulous city model since then. 
time has a moved on and we're into the as Americans would call we're into the fall um, and we're just I'm just itching with excitement to find out what has happened to your city I mean has it grown or you know or, or or has it changed or what's what's going on James it, it's it's well it's a very very good question so um we have been actually very very busy and and more busy than I almost expected to be um in getting it from a place where it was already obviously visually very appealing with the buildings and and I was very pleased with how the game played but actually getting that final sort of 10% is so much work um, <laughs> in terms of getting it to the point where the graphic design and all of the art comes together in such a way that's actually ready for Kickstarter has been a revelation, I think would be would be safe to say. Um, so uh, what we have now, in fact, and I'm super excited about, is that on Friday I will be seeing, for the first time, the com- kind of completed Kickstarter prototype. So wow. a version we can actually photograph and we can show off and we can put in all the on all the materials that will that will be the version that people see on Kickstarter with all of its completed artwork. How do you go about getting that? Have you gone to like a local company to get them do three D printing or what's the kind of the process behind that? It's uh, it's it's it very much depends on the kind of game that you're doing. But in the case of Magnate, it is a Herculean effort, and that's primarily because. Um, because uh, I'm absolutely mad, um, I have bitten off as my first ever Kickstarter a game that just has so many different kinds of component. So yes. um, there's the question of the buildings. Obviously, that's one. There's one supplier that we need for that. Um, but even the printing ends up being done by multiple different companies. So you've got someone, for example, we've got one supplier who's really good at doing playing cards. So we've had all of the playing cards of the game um, uh, put together by them. Then we've got another supplier who works with my manufacturer who's working on cardstock and all the different card components. And then my manufacturer himself, who um, runs a company called CMA, are, have been making all of the actual miniatures in resin. And uh, that whole process is itself, uh, it, there are so many steps to it. I mean, the very first thing is is you're going to spend, and I've certainly that's been my experience, you'll spend months just getting the 3D models correct. Then you've got to get those 3D models printed at a very high resolution. The resolution that we use is, uh, to get all fancy and technical here, is um, one micron um, level of a rev- resolution, which, as I understand it, is something like a tenth of a, a human hair or something in terms of detail it's, that you can show. It's very small. It's, 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 it's so small I can't even think about something funny. To say that it's smaller than a joke. <laughs> look at it that way. That's the, um, that's the way to look at it. Um, yeah, so it's it's absolutely tiny, and then we have to get those three D printed, and then they and then the manufacturer has to make molds from those three D ma- printed masters to then use those to then cast the resin models. So um, even just that one part, one component of the game, I mean, it's given me this, this sort of amazingly newfound respect for when I see companies that are doing very complex miniatures kickstarters. I used to look at those and sometimes think, wow, that's, just, that's a lot of content, right? And it looks, it looks really nice, looks really impressive. But now I actually look at that and I'm scared. I, I see those Kickstarters and I just go, oh my God, the time <laughs> required to just create all of those beautiful organic shaped models to make, like, to just cast everything, produce it and do it without error is mind-blowing. Um, it's been more work totally on the graphics in the last five or so, five or six months than probably all of the work on all of the artwork up until that point put together um, by, by a huge margin. 
can you not walk into a games workshop now? I mean, do you get the, does that eye start twitching? Is there a little bit of sweat when you start to look at the models <laughs> in there and you go just going, <gasps> but there's so much work. How did you do that? And you're grabbing the staff and going, but how did you do this? This is magic. I know, I know how this is made. I know your pain. I know what you've been through. <laughs> Would you like a hug? Have you been banned from Games Workshop for giving uh, the staff hugs, James? Well, no, not yet. Uh, but <laughs> who knows? Maybe that's a risk. Next next time, I, there's a one on my regular walk to my gym. There is, in fact, a Games Workshop, and I pass it regularly, looking in the window. These rather incredible models. So maybe I someday I will, and then, um, but ho- hopefully not to a point where I get arrested for anything. Well, I mean, like, why break the habit <laughs> of a lifetime? Um, <laughs> In terms of, but in in all seriousness, I mean, is the quality of the components that you have to put together, does it have to be a lot more precise than kind of like the final version? Or are you working towards that these wet resin models are as close to what people actually get in their hands when they get the final kind of production model? Um, Certainly, I we're definitely working to that standard. So the standard for me is that these models should be a really close representation of what you'll actually get in the box. Um, that we, we still make, make some changes for manufacturing purposes. One of the big things that people don't realize is that one, one of the subtle things I've learned in this whole process is that even different materials that you produce in have completely different rules for how the model can be made. So, um, for example, this is a sounds like a strange one, but the way that the casting process works for resin is that um, effectively your models generally have to always taper up in some way. So you'll see lots of models that are made those resin um, components are either made in multiple parts or they or the different components that taper up in such a way that they won't get locked in the mold. So the whole yeah. when you're designing for that, you have to have to keep that in mind. Um, when you're doing plastics, you can use these sort of two part tool components that enable you to then cast things that have, for example, bits that stick out in different directions. So when you're doing your 3D design, you have to even factor those kind of details in. So actually, there may be small changes we need to make, even just for pure manufacturing reasons that will come afterwards. But for me, I knew that, uh, that, and this has been true since, since the first set of models, when we see people actually get to see something that is like a real, a really beautiful real component, it just completely changes their engagement with the game. So mm-hmm. for me, it was we, we wanted to go all the way. Yeah, I mean, it's very... It is a type of game, I mean, even in the kind of the development stage that it was in when I saw it, it was a very kind of, I wanted to kind of, and I know a couple of times because you slapped my wrist because I did reach <laughs> up, take a building, and it kind of was venturing to my mouth, you know, so I could just <laughs> potentially say, does this taste nice? I mean, that was my thought. And you were just like, do you mind? I've got people, I've got a two o'clock, I've got a half past two coming along and you're right in the middle trying to bite the yellow buildings that definitely don't taste of bananas they do taste of bananas have you thought about actually making kind of do you know what would be cool smelly buildings smelly buildings not not edible buildings maybe not edible no 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 i'm just thinking for the game a stretch goal would be the red player smells of strawberries the yellow buildings smell of bananas. The green buildings <laughs> smell of apples. See, I, I was thinking that what we could do is make the buildings smell like what they are. 
So, you know, the industrial unit has a sort of vague chemically uh. smell that's emerging from it. The sort of shopping mall smells a little bit of, like, ammonia cleaning and, like, plastics and, like, uh, cellophane, maybe that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Perhaps the office just... smells like a broken photocopier. <laughs> I don't know. Something something like that. Just sounding like a guy here doesn't know what to sell a game. I'm being <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> Just saying. You know, all for the sake of realism. Could you imagine opening the box for the first time and you're just basically nasally attacked like a fruit salad just coming at you in your face? I think that would be magical. I, no? I, I, I think that sounds great. I mean, it, it beats the kind of exploding kitten's meow sound when the box opens just like into a cocked hat, doesn't it? Like having a, having a box that just has this incredible fruit salad smell. They don't uh, know what they're doing. I wouldn't trust them. They'll never be famous. They'll never yeah. be ever in they'll every never, single... They'll, they'll never ever. make it. Who's heard of them? Nah. Exactly. I mean, I practically had to throw them off the shelf when I saw them in Tesco's. Um. <laughs> well, well, yeah, absolutely. Too right. Um, in terms of, though, with the playtesting, um, has that changed? Has there been any changes to the balancing of the game? I know you're saying the last 10% has been almost like the kind of the last kind of pushing the large boulder up the hill mm. uphill struggle but have up until the last minute have you still kind of been balancing kind of making changes to you know to magnet as you've been going yeah definitely in fact actually um we had a really probably not a, not a such a big change in terms of in terms of how much it changes player experience, in fact not really a change at all but we had a huge mechanical change in the middle of the year um, after you played the game um, and that was because we had discovered that the way that the crash mechanic worked in the game um, couldn't actually satisfy several really critical criteria that we'd put on it for the game. So um, we wanted the crash of the game to be somewhat predictable so that players could work out, um, could make, take a guess at when they think it's going to end, because it's important that the decision-making there is informed by their read of the board. That the crash happens with a certain range of turns so that the game can't go on too long and it can't be too short uh, but the game is also not completely predictable in the sense that whatever you do you could never be certain when exactly it will crash and it turned mm. out the mechanic that we had where we had this crash marker that moved as well as a land price marker that could move completely independently of each other um, was actually we, we, we spent a lot of time doing a lot of maths on it and we worked out it was impossible for it in its current form to actually maintain all three of those criteria we, we ended up creating a basically a um it's absolutely absurd we had to create a uh a kind of dummy version of the mechanic that was highly simplified to create a kind of mathematical model of it and then work from base principles to to to, to what we had currently and worked out that it was yeah it was logically impossible for it to deliver what we wanted it to um, but no one had noticed because the number of edge cases where the problem would, would rise was sort of lower than 5% of the time. So, in fact, lower than about 2% of the time. So we'd created a mechanic that couldn't be made to work 100% the way we needed it to work. But we didn't know just because we hadn't tried it enough. And it was, and it happened to, we happened to test it in a, in a situation where we, um, which would have, it would have been a kind of one in a hundred thing where yeah. everything went wrong and it, and it turned out it didn't work and we were like well why is this and that, and that which led us on this path and, and honestly it was that happened a week before UK Games Expo and that must have been scary that, was that scary was that kind of a oh damn does this mean because I mean 
let's face it, and, and Terry Pratchett always said this, that kind of one in a million chances happen nine times out of ten. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was you know, he's saying it's actually it's actually impossible now for the youngest uh, the youngest son of a king not to succeed in a quest kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. So so were you kinda of like going, that means that reviewers are gonna get this and of course every single one of them is going to come along <laughs> this an anomaly, you know, and that'll basically crash us down. But was there that kind of thought that we have to get this right? Because if this goes anywhere and people find that the the you know the game is broken, not try to plug the show, but um you know, if they find out that the game was broken, then it's like, well, what, what do we do? How do we, you can't kind of do a, a factory recall and say, oh, oh, here are these rules? <laughs> exactly. Like there's notices in supermarkets that say we're doing a little recall on this because we found it has a broken mechanic. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Free exploding kittens with every purchase. <laughs> it, 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 absolutely. No, it was. It was probably the most nerve-wracking thing that happened to us in the whole process because um, I was working with my developer Jaya on it who's been um, a huge help over the last six or seven months helping to kind of refine some of these elements and when we discovered it we just knew that we had about four or five days so we had to come up with something new that would replace it that would work that would effectively create the same experience for the players but would but we but we could know logically up front um that it couldn't produce those outcomes and that became the new criteria which we applied and um it was very challenging but we did manage it and by the time that we got to the uk games expo and the versions that people were playing there at the end of may we had solved the problem but it was sort of two solid days of just solving this mechanic problem and it was nerve-wracking really nerve-wracking um, and it was it was a fascinating problem to to, in, to encounter because it it was just something which we we thought we had solved, but we just clearly not done the thinking the thinking deep enough. And I think what I had done was relied on that uh, idea that the, that a game can be the game could be one hundred percent empirically balanced. So I guess what I mean by that is that you could. Um, predict reasonable levels of outcome. You could uh, then use what you knew about the game to predict that you know there would, this would only be a one in genuine one in a million edge case, and it would never be a real problem. But it completely yeah. changed my mind on that, and made me think that actually we sort of there sort of can't be a scenario where it doesn't work. It can be a bit weird sometimes. That's okay because actually that can be interesting if a game has a completely different pattern to, to what people normally expect, but it's still satisfying. But it can't just break like that. Um, so, so that was that was tough, and a, a really tough lesson for me as a game designer as well. Yeah, I mean, it's people talk about balance in games all the time, and they talk about kind of obviously the playtesting and how how important it can be. And I have seen kind of people still being able to work out how to boss a system. And kind of get out. And I can't imagine anything more of a nightmare than kind of discovering somebody going, ah, but if you, you know, if you do this and you get um, this, you know, you can basically, you're asking the genie for infinite, infinite genies, you know, kind of thing. And you're just like going, ah, okay, that's fine. Okay, you win, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that aside, but that aside, I mean, has, <laughs> apart from that kind of small um, bump in the road, <laughs> has, has everything has the feed, what's the feedback been like for the game the feedback has been excellent i think um it's it, it, even into the blind testing process which is the other thing major task that we've done that we we hadn't done even started um back at aircon um has been excellent so watching people just take a copy of the game 
learn it from the rulebook with no help from a rulebook that isn't quite 100% tightened up yet. Um, just with a box of the game and nothing else, you know, and still get to the end of that experience, which is like literally the worst and toughest way to learn a game. Um, and get to the end of it and, and just say, I really want to play this again next time and start, start, you know, reeling off all the things they would have done differently and telling me about how the next time they play it, they're going to do this, this, try this strategy and they've got to try and do this next time. Um, the number of people who have really, really loved it, and I've had people come up to me, particularly at UK Games Expo, and say, This is awesome, as awesome as I thought it would be. This is mm. fantastic. It has been wonderful experience. Um, so it, it's definitely been a kind of, although it's been a period of, of trial in many ways, particularly when it's come to managing everything on the art side um, and solving some of these, these big issues, uh, it's been a real period of, of triumph as well, um, which has been so satisfying. What's it been like trying to get your marketing? kind of hat on um has that been has that been because you seem to what i get from you as a person is you loving the the organization the project management the getting i'm pretty sure you've probably got at least five spreadsheets they're all color coded <laughs> i'm detecting there's multiple tabs with formula going on and it all kind of you know, there's you're, you even got as far as using the color lilac to color code some of the stuff <laughs> that's happening, and like you're nodding away. I feel like some kind of psychic, you know. And you're a size ten and a half when it comes to shoes, and you know you passed your test when you were eighteen, and you know you had a fumble about in a Mazda when you were twenty two years old. Um, in no, the, wait, that's you, you, that's you, me. You, <laughs> I was going to say you were doing so well on the spreadsheets. Um, uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I would say I don't actually use a spreadsheet because I use Airtable, which is a sort of like next generation mm, okay. database alternative. Um, <laughs> it's like minority, you're like Minority Report with Tom Cruise. You can <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Going about swiping about. I need multiple tablets. I need more tablets. I need to be thingy in the air. I'm moving. Do you know what the funny thing is? I'm moving my hands in the air. <laughs> while I'm seeing Minority Report, safe in the knowledge that there's not one person in this world that can see me apart from me, and I feel like a proper fanny. But there you go. Um, but no, as I was saying, the the impression that I got is that you, you know the project's management side of things, you're kind of down with that, you're getting everything organised. Everything seems to be running like a, a kind of like a, a tight ship. The mar- marketing something like this or any kind of marketing, any product requires sometimes a little bit out of the box thinking, mm. swerving a bit left when you, you know, instead of swerving right. How have you found that side getting ready for the kind of the Kickstarter? It's been, it's been really interesting. I, I mean, I am of the belief that most of the marketing for this kind of thing is actually fundamentally about playing a great ground game. And I guess what I mean by that is, um, and what I've seen from the success, other successful campaigns as well, is that if you are not someone who has absolutely vast budget and existing market footprint, like let's take a, a really big company that does this sort of stuff quite well, like Simon, for example, um, you need to just meet as many people as possible, get as many people as possible to play the game, hit the convention circuit, keep it just keep increasing constant exposure, constant trickle of social media, and... Um, constantly foregrounding a great product and that's really the thing that i'm most interested in i'm a i'm a pretty good project manager but the thing that i'm most passionate about really is about the product development so and and to me something that's inherently appealing is like a critical part of that 
So we found that because we spent all that time on that side of things, when we put put just in front of people, it, it sort of sells itself at exhibitions. And so one the kind of one of the most interesting marketing data points for me this year, which was really great on that front, was um, the UK Games Expo. So uh, a tool that I know that a lot of people actually use, huge numbers of people use to organize their conventions is a, tool, a really cool tool called Tabletop Together. And it basically allows you to list games you're interested in going to conventions. It's like one of the number one tools for like doing this for Essen, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was wonderful to see that Magnate was consistently in, uh, and this is after I'd added it really late to the tool, was consistently in the top 20 of all the games on there for UK Games Expo for kind of anticipation. And that was just fantastic because we were we were ahead i was the new rain and title we were consistently ahead of we were ahead of loads and loads of other games consistently on that list from everything everyone else ahead of us was a big company or someone had a really successful prior kickstarter and that was the moment where i was like that's really interesting because for the first time which is really hard to get this kind of like very grassroots marketing we had some data about people about level of interest that we'd kind mm-hmm. of not had before. And it seemed to just anecdotally reflect and, and time with a lot of other things I've seen, which is that I think we've got a pretty good, like a lot of people have a pretty good base of awareness. And I, could, I could be wrong, but the mailing list is strong. There's loads and loads of people who are kind of interested already who are quite excited for it. And I've been really fortunate that I've quite a few uh, very good reviewers have all said to me, yes, just send it. We're really keen to review this. Um, so I think there's going to be as we move into the final phase and the marketing starts ramping up considerably ready for the actual yeah. launch, I think that will, that's all about building on that. And actually, I just want to say one more thing on that, which I think is an example of a previous campaign that's done something that's very similar, that's done a really good job of this, and that's SolarStorm. Because um, I first met Aiden, who um, designed the game back in, uh, that would have been March, last year february march last year maybe um maybe even yeah. earlier than that and i saw his prototype he brought along to a, um, a networking event at um in, at, at inside the box games in london and um you know he was very passionate about it he, he was he had this, this great little co-op game i didn't get to get a chance to play it but i saw the people playing it enjoying it it was a lot of feedback he had still loads of development work to do and he just hit every con he was just there day in day out like constantly getting people to play it and now that game is like completely smashing it on Kickstarter. I think they're over well over a thousand backers already. Which is which to me was um, phenomenal, and it was also strange because I remember. I mean, I wrote a preview for Solar Storm, and at the time I was kind of like, "Well, this is good and this is fun," but my concern was at the time I was like, "I'm wondering how the noise is going to get out on this one." You know, I was wondering where it was going to... I was just wondering where it was going to go and where it was going to be. And um, and then it's kind of come out and, and, and it had some coverage and some of it was favourable and some of it was, well, it's just pandemic kind of thing. And I was just like, in my preview, I said, well, it is pandemic, but what... <laughs> What's, what's kind of wrong with that in terms of the mechanics? But it kind of it's doing its own little thing, yeah. and it's kind of trying to do something different. And it's it's a bloody hard game to play, and I think that appealed to a lot of people. And it's just one of these things that it hit the right time, the right price point. It seemed to be the right type of game, the right type of theme, and it's just gone on to do gangbusters. And mm. and I think. Um, it's one of these things that's like you're saying, well, he's hitting every, he would hit every kind of con going. Mm. 
And I'm wondering about these. It's again to me is like Kickstarter is not giving up any of its secrets. But I reckon that social media isn't necessarily a good measurement of whether or not a game is going to do well on Kickstarter. I've seen a lot of games that have, you know, they've got 3,000 followers on Twitter, they've got a huge Instagram post, they've got, they're in every single board game kind of group going, talking to people and interacting. But I'm thinking, well, if you're not out in the cons actually meeting and speaking to the people, they're the guys, if they don't get hands-on, people get hands-on with the game, they're probably more likely to back. And that's where I reckon Solar Storm did quite well. Yeah, you know, definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think it's that thing again. It's that it's those two things coming together, which is like that's that's sort of the board game equivalent of pounding the pavement to like just to just to, to get people playing it and interested um, in those conventions, and then creating creating a product that just actually is a really good product. Because I I would agree with you completely. You know, saying it, people said, oh, it's like Pandemic. I'm like, yeah, Pandemic is a great game. Like it's it's done exactly. very well for lots of really <laughs> good I mean? reasons. It's and, like having bu- buildings that smell of bananas and apples. <laughs> You know, in strawberries, that would be a great set of buildings. You know, it's like, yeah, it's been done before. But everybody's going to go, yeah, this this is fantastic. This is amazing. And I think um, that's where Solar Storm did so well. Because people went, this is familiar. And maybe I don't want to play Pandemic, but I remember all the fun times I had with Pandemic. And I know it seems like a short game. It's not going to be... I'm not looking at a game that's going to take up four hours at my table. I'm looking at a game that you can rattle through in... 25 minutes you know exactly that was that was attractive and and that's 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 great product and um yeah it's great it's great product and and as you say i think people can get very over they can put too much emphasis on social media in terms of how important it is because but but actually the 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 raw the raw numbers just don't bear it out i mean for me it's been really interesting putting together a marketing plan for this so one of the kind of biggest things that hasn't really happened yet on magnate side is really Obviously, all of the getting all the reviewers. Uh, obviously, they've all been being lined up in terms of agreeing to review the game. But obviously, none of that stuff, content has landed yet. I mean, some early reviews have been incredibly glowing and have been absolutely brilliant. Though, though that's helped us hugely, and I'm hugely grateful to those reviewers. But obviously, the, the next wave is coming. But as I was going through that that process of, of trying to find out what the the best people to work with would be, one of the things that came through to me is, is when you look at the hard numbers, like some of the um, some of the previews just are not generating a huge amount of real traffic um, yeah. to to different to different sites that people sign up. And actually, you know, you, you, if you and if you've got someone gets two hundred views on a YouTube video, okay, that's good. But actually, fifty email signups at a convention has that for breakfast, like yeah. in in terms of level of engagement. And I and I yeah, and, yeah. It's, and really the person that kind of helped me see this was my, my business partner, who's who's comes from the kind of uh, wargaming world. Uh, where he was uh, involved in in creating a war game brand, and he was just always like, "Yeah, conventions are critical. They're much more important than you think they are." And I was like, I was thinking, "Come on, isn't everything online now?" You know, very much that was my attitude because, particularly because my you know my professional life, I, I work in digital marketing. So to me, the idea that it would all be about physically turning up a convention seemed a bit alien. But wow, it's it's definitely been the, the best the best channel for us. It's, for, for us, and so I, I'm hoping it, it might bear, well, it will bear similar fruit to Solarstorm. I mean, um, one of the things that you're doing quite clever. I mean, I have to be honest and say that we are. I believe that Steve is potentially going to be writing a preview, and I've left Steve 
to to organise that and sort it out, you know, and if that happens or doesn't happen. And the fact of the matter is we know people quite well, so i got to distance myself. I'm not going to have a, be having a hands-on with um, Magnet again. I mean, Steve is going to be playing with a couple of friends, you know, that he knows and getting their absolutely. feedback from there. Yeah, um, absolutely. The best, the way that I found um, <clears throat> that worked for you guys was that um, the way that you structured your kind of your demos and your playthroughs was different, was the first time I'd experienced somebody who'd said, okay, let's play a couple of rounds, you can roll some dice really badly, and then what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward by 45 minutes or two hours or whatever to the end of the game where you can actually play, you know, you can play what happens yeah. at the end kind of thing. Yeah. And I found I found that kind of really interesting to kind of almost say because for many games for demos this is how you start. Mm. And as everybody knows with any kind of good piece of media, be it a film, a song or something like that, it's the kind of the build up from the middle to the end that is usually the thing that gets people kind of buzzing and it's yeah. what they're looking for and what they're trying to be experiencing. With your experience in kind of social media marketing and stuff like that, was that why you decided to just say, okay, let's do a little bit of intro to show you the basics, but then let's ramp it up to 11 at the end so you can actually see what's going to happen when the game comes to its kind of crashing crescendo, basically? Definitely. I think, you know, because the way I see that is that every story obviously needs a beginning, a middle and an end. And the most important parts of that are the beginning and the end. And you can't really get a sense of the way the game scales unless yeah. you've seen what it's like earlier on. And that was the sense that we had with it. Um, actually, since then, we've actually changed our demoing even more. We actually have moved towards a situation now where we basically have demos in two streams, where we have complete games, and then we have demos that are really fast overviews. And the reason we've done that is because one of the other things that's come out of the last six months of Magnate has been the development, has been the tightening of the game arc even more. And I think one of the things I'm, I'm very proud about the game for is the fact that no turn is quite like the other, like any other turn, in the sense that the stakes are really ramping. Like one yeah. of the things that people have said to us consistently about it, which, is, which has been brilliant to, to see that come through in the actual finished product, is that people have said, I love the way that the game goes from like zero at the beginning, I'm building a house to epic battle bidding war over who's going to fill the suite of massive office blocks at the end. Yeah. Um, and the the totals are enormous. You know, you're 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 dealing in the hundreds of thousands at the beginning, and then tens of millions by the end. And so, because of that scale, every time we tried to some salami slice it a bit, it felt that you were really missing something. Like it really was like great, the greater than the sum of its parts of the different turns. Um, so that's why I think with those those other demos that we did, I think were pretty successful, was that we knew we had to give, try and give a sense of that arc. I think, which is why it's critical for us to have that beginning as well as an end. In terms of um, Magnet itself, do you think it's a bit of a fluffy jumper of a game? Now, hear me out on this, okay? <laughs> Go right. for it. And then the terms that if you start talking property building, having lots of money to play with, rolling dice dealing with kind of losing and gaining money in the property ladder, there's a certain other game, obviously who's doing some absolutely <laughs> f 
flipping terrible stuff in the market <laughs> at the moment. But, you know, do you think part of the attraction, and I think we spoke about this last time, is do you think that part of the attraction is that, that I, you could probably safely say that probably 90 to 95% of every single person that maybe walked through Aircon that day or was it kind of like, you know, or was at the UK Games Expo had had some kind of exposure to the M word, to the big monopoly. <laughs> and, the, and then viewing your game, they were like, well, this is updated monopoly. So I'm already 50% of the way there because I'm getting hit by a wave of nostalgia. And the buildings <laughs> look better than what they could be. The dice seem better than what they could be. You've got some interesting cards. I like the money and you've got the market. So do you reckon you're kind of you're kind of hitting that? It's not obviously it's not you're not going around the board you're not collecting 200 you're not you know buying utilities but there is that kind of property ownership portfolio management kind of screwing over the other person type of thing so <laughs> do you think that's maybe speaking to a lot of people at a kind of like a base level to send they're going yeah. oh yeah i like the i like the cut of this jib and the building smell of strawberries i <laughs> 100% i mean i think for me um, it, it has always been from the very beginning a project that was about trying to create a game that was like what Monopoly I imagined was in my head when I was a child. So when I, I would think as a child about like playing Monopoly, I'd always wanted to play Monopoly. And my parents would always say like, well, you know, actually, when you actually play it, you get really upset. And of course, many years later would admit to uh, situations where they would let me win because obviously the, the, the when you get crushed in Monopoly, the crushing is phenomenal. Um, and uh, But it, I always still wanted to play it more because something about the game's theme the fact that it is i think which is often forgotten about it it is a building game i mean i mean obviously the building pieces you do in it is very limited compared to something like magnate but it is a building game where you could have sort of amass money you try and build this this empire um it's immensely attractive and for me it was always about magnate was about going well okay what if you took that feeling and you tried to create a game that would really create and fulfill that expectation and would have all the kind of sophisticated mechanics that that that, that you know that have are now available to us through like years and years of like really interesting euro game development um mm -hmm. and and bring those things together so and i think from a marketing perspective as well what that means is that that's actually very positive because it means that you are working off something that people already are familiar with as you said about solar storm i think i'm really good about it is that actually there are elements of it that are familiar and that's a good thing and i, and I think and I, I remember i got the question once of saying well how do you feel like it if this game is all it keeps being compared to monopoly and i just said well look if this if if Magnate becomes the major thing that everyone compares uh, or other uh, Monopoly to, and that becomes the number one comparison game against Monopoly, I will be very, very happy indeed. Um, because that would be a huge that would be that would be the most uh, most amazing success that I can't really quite honestly hope for, but would be incredible if it happened. You could actually use a tagline to say this is like actual what Monopoly should be and not this kind of uh, this disgrace. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, you know, I just seen a couple of things they've done recently and I'm just like, you're just going on people's divisions here at the moment and it's a terrible way to be doing kind of any type of business where you're effectively buying a product that other people can poke fun out of other people because of 
the way that they run their lives, so I just don't agree with it. So if you're going to come in and you're going to tell them, oh, look, let's get back to the cutthroat, high-class greed <laughs> the Monopoly used to be about, <laughs> and let's chase away these social issues, then I'll stand by you, Mr. Mailer. That's all I'm saying. That is all oh, I'm saying. I, I, I only hope that, that Magnate has a little bit more of a... Uh, slightly satirical edge that it still has that I think um, Monopoly maybe doesn't at all because I think for me the idea that the crash is inevitable in Magnate is really important um, that whatever happens there'll be rampant speculation followed by a massive correction like there is no way to avoid this cycle which I think is something that um, <laughs> um, something that I feel is like it was important to me to kind of imbue the game with because I think that there needs to be a little bit of cynicism about the way that these things work but at the same time, it obviously is enjoyable. I mean, this is it, like it, many games, there is a kind of working out of a fantasy to it. Although I think another important thing for me, though, is really that it doesn't, it, it allows people to more indulge in the more innocent side of the fantasy and not, yes. it's not about the crushing of other people. Like you are only ever selling, you buy and sell from the game. There's a strong degree of interaction around bidding, particularly becomes really important once you know the game well that can become very powerful and a really important point of battle in the game um where you build there's lots of subtle opportunities for interaction there but it's but everyone always ends up at the end of magnate richer than when they started in terms of kind of you know kind of going forward have you come up with the i mean have you come up with like launch dates and prices and stuff like that yeah I mean, when, when when are you bringing this to town <laughs> So I, I, I had originally, I mean, it's been a real, there's been a, that has been so tough. And I think that's been the most frustrating thing to me is that getting all of the artwork together has turned into a much longer and more complex process than I'd originally anticipated. And as a result, that slowed us down. The other thing that slowed us down is we had to think about a little bit about, for example, more financial planning, particularly from the point of view, for example, how we manage Brexit. Um, so that's done. I've been doing a little bit of prep there in terms of different ways we can hedge that, manage that. Actually, in terms of finance, done a lot of calculations from the very beginning. We've been very diligent on that because something which some people have advised me against, but it's really important. Uh, but I've always pretty strongly believed in is that the if you're going to spend this much time developing it, you need to think about it as a potential retail product from the start. Even if it never becomes a retail product, even if you just have a Kickstarter and it never goes yeah. any further it's important you do all that planning. And actually, because of the way that margins work in retail, that imposes a completely different uh, financial standard to what you need to do. And so that's been something that I've been spending a lot of time on. So um, the plan very much is still in, is to, is to get it launched this year. And, and probably the end of the autumn is kind of when we will be looking to launch it based on where we are today. And I feel more confident in that now because I think we have... Uh, we've got to the point where we basically have all of the artwork completed. And that really was one of the last major obstacles because we're manufacturing review copies right now that will be going out to the different reviewers uh, very shortly. So that that is that that's once you've got to that point, that is one of your last major hurdles. After that it's mostly about just making the Kickstarter page look good. Um what about price point then? Price point, so this is still not 100% decided, so I'm going to say be very careful now to caveat everything around this point, partly because of some of those those financial uncertainties. Um, but mm. um, we'd like, I would like to get the base product in below £60, which I think is pretty good wow. for, the, for the number of components, the miniatures, 
the level of the amount of production value you get is going to be very high within that. But I think that's the level where uh, I think if you go much higher than that, you are in, in proper miniatures game territory. And I think that drastically reduces the size of your potential market. Um, then there is going to be a deluxe edition that's going to launch along with the campaign, but it's going to be more content focused rather than just components focused. It's going to be like a day one expansion. Um, In this process, because of the way that I developed this by taking a big block of stone effectively and gradually hewing stuff out of it to make the final game, (laughs) there is, um, rather than starting as some people do with like a little part of the game and they build on it, um, there's a lot of really great content that we really like and we've play tested extensively that is really good but also gets in the way of achieving that price point, that lower price yeah. point for the core product. So, and I'll put you overcomplicates the first time experience for people too. So we're going to be launching an expansion alongside it that includes some elements that I think heavier gamers will really enjoy. So for example, we have these cards called these employee cards. And what they do is effectively they give you asymmetric powers that change and warp the rules of the game. And they are so much fun in terms of, if you've played this game like I have, literally countless times um they just suddenly inject all this additional potential and i just know a lot of the heavy gamers will love it because they just suddenly make your brain bleed from just how much more they raise the complexity of the decision making um so there's there's content like that is what's going to be in this kind of expansion it's going to go with it um but uh but yeah so that will probably be probably closer to 70 ish that's kind of more that territory all in that one will be um, so I'm hopeful that, that that kind of levels at those levels that people will feel that that's a really good value for the amount of content you get in this game. I mean, it's like I, I worked out slightly frighteningly the component count isn't crazily off Gloomhaven's component count um, when you actually add it all up. That's so, a bold. That's a bold claim. That is a bold. I think we'll need a steward's inquiry on that and a definite <laughs> kind of component a component count on that. I mean, you know. Well, are you I've going to be putting that? Are you going to be putting that on the box? You know, no, <laughs> no, almost I don't as think big so. as Gloomhaven. No, I think it's. Uh, I, I think it's something where it's like that's actually not a. Uh, I, for me, as a product designer, it's definitely in no way necessarily inherently a positive. Uh, in yeah. the sense that just oh, there's lots of stuff in this box, and so just there's bit, lots of bits. But I think the main thing in Magnate is that the bits when people actually <laughs> play it, they'll see that the, all of the bits are really critical to how it works, and they're actually very integrated. There's like nothing yes. in it that people feel like oh, that feels very extraneous. Absolutely not. And I think that's one of the other po- very positive pieces of feedback we've had is that nothing feels extraneous. It's very streamlined. Um, it's just that the way that some of the components work by its nature mean that you've just got quite a lot of different pieces that are nice. But then again, I think, but then uh, yeah. and that side of it, the production value side of, of what those pieces bring is the positive thing for me. But also at the same time, you're completely letting us down by not having everything obviously smell of fruit. So, you know. I know, right? I mean, Oh, I mean, that's going to have to be a pretty, first. pretty big stretch goal. That's going to have to be. That's going to be a really big stretch goal. I mean, I'm, but I will see what I can do. I mean, the strawberry smell, I think, wafting out of the box. I mean, that, that does sound pretty good. You could have a whole t- different type of version. You could have like the early morning breakfast version, you know, and you could have the box smelling the toast when mm. people open it up. Bacon, maybe. Yeah. Uh, um. Potentially, but that would actually mean actually having bacon in the box. And if that was the case, then I'd be around your house stealing all your boxes because <laughs> I like bacon. Um, yeah, 
Maybe maybe a slight coffee smell as well, just like. I, I look. I, it's just you know, it's your game. If you, <laughs> call it, if you were to call it Magnet City of Smells, then you know that sounds like a fine. Magnet like City of Smells. <laughs> That's like one of those randomly generated Euro game sort of titles, isn't it? Um, it's like on that, well, that, I mean, on that Twitter account yeah, that I, generates I mean, you random could, names. You could no, you could call Magnate, it that. I'm calling it the beginning of your fantastically huge empire. But I mean, it's up to you. Yeah, well, let's you know, swear. You, <laughs> you, you know, you're the boss. Um, if I can, I mean, I can only wish you the best of luck. As I say, I have played it. Um, I did have an absolutely terrible time with it as I rolled absolute rubbish um, all the way through, and I, I think Mark. From Forks, fully funded Forks fame was there as well, mm, and he yeah. just stood there. He just sat there and laughed, didn't he? He did. He, he just he, continually laughed. He had a fantastic time. He did play. He played. Did play a blinder as well. I know. I couldn't believe it. He was just rolling fours and fives, and there was one. I, I think I actually took a picture of the dice, which was just a collection of ones and twos, and you were just like, "You can roll them again if you want." And I was like, "I will not be pandered <laughs> to here. I, I will." I will suffer in silence, and I did. I lost completely. Um, yeah, but as I say, I can only wish you kind of the best of luck with the campaign when it does kick off. Um, Thank you very much. If people, if people want to find you on the internet webs, where do we find you on the internet webs? So I think the best place to go is magnategame.com. Uh, there are now links to several reviews that we've already had up there. And uh, as well as obviously the sign-up form. So if you are interested in backing the Kickstarter when it launches, you'll get a notification from us on that website as well. So that's definitely the number one place to go. But we've also got um, a Facebook page, an Instagram account, and we're pushing out quite a lot of quite interesting content very shortly on that around the development process of the game. So if that's the kind of thing that that, uh, touches your buttons, we've got... um, for example, information on how, like some some different posts about how we 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 make the miniatures, the process of doing that, some of the kind of creative ideas and things behind those those behind that that kind of process. Um, so those are places to check out as well. And we obviously have a BGG listing too. And what we'll do, as always, we will make sure that we put all those links in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. Excellent. Sounded that sounded a bit bouncy and singy. I'm not sure about that. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to and uh, just applaud everybody that decides to stick up and put up with us, um, especially since you're not getting any financial reward at all for doing so, bless you. You can find us on all the different worn-out places, worn-out faces. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and the Googles and, you know... Um, our website, which is we'renotwizards.com, and our blog, where we're writing lots of stuff, and you can go and find us on um, all those kind of podcast catchers, which have got the word pod or the word cast in them, and some of them have still got neither in them, which is annoying. Like Stitcher. But don't even... (laughs) Why can't they call it cast Stitcher? It's already got the ST in it. They just need to add the CA on to the beginning. They're just lazy lazy the other thing you can do is if you like us you can obviously you can subscribe to us on those various podcast catchers of choice if you like us even more you can go to apple podcasts and drop us a rating a review or um you know a subscription currently at the moment when the last time i checked we were number two in the games charts in chile (laughs) 
which I'm delighted <laughs> in the iTunes game chat. I know we're be- we're beating Critical Role, you know. Oh wow! So there you go. Aye, yeah, exactly. Smashing it, Boom. smashing it. Yeah, yeah, I would expect yeah. nothing less, Richard. Though nothing less. People people prefer to listen to people who aren't wizards over people who pretend they are. So <laughs> stick that in your pipe, stick that in your pipe, Mercer, and smoke it. Um. If you do want to give us a rating or review, remember, don't give us 10. He's going to kill me now. He doesn't listen. I don't care. Um, I don't like your show. Um, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed, but don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us five stars because it's in the middle. And it's average. And we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight, rather wonderful, rather fantastic. He's... <laughs> He's the kind of the architect of the city that he surveys in a box that doesn't smell of fruit. It's Mr. <laughs> James Naylor. Richard, thank you very much. You're very, very welcome. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, James? We are absolutely 100% and unequivocally not wizards. Fantastic. At least makes 50% of us. And the other thing... <laughs> is to say goodbye. So, uh, it's a goodbye from James. Say goodbye, James. Goodbye, James. And it's a goodbye from me. (laughs) Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful, but until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never linked. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 